fired up about the Braves. Um, how many of you are like me? You're ready for the Braves to win the World Series, but you're also ready for the postseason to be over so you can get some sleep. Anybody else? Yeah. So I did go to bed last night. I had to. I went to bed in the sixth inning. Bummer, right? But it was good to wake up this morning and check my phone and see that we had, had won. Um, so, yeah, really excited about that um, and uh, just excited about everything that's going on with that. How many of you felt bad for Dylan Lee last night? Anybody feel bad for Dylan Lee? See, I didn't really feel bad for Dylan Lee because I'm like, he got to pitch in game four of the World Series, right? And if you asked him, would you rather have had that experience or not have pitched in game four of the World Series? I'm thinking, I'll take pitching in the World Series, right? Um, and it all worked out, so it was, it was really cool. Um, one of the things that I have really enjoyed about that, uh, the postseason this year with the Braves specifically, is the way the teams work together. Right? It's been a team effort. In fact, a lot of people that you wouldn't expect to step up have stepped up and done incredible things, uh, like Kyle Wright coming in. And I don't want to get too deep into the baseball thing, but he comes in and shuts it down. He picks up his teammate. And, and I was thinking about that from this standpoint of like how it is kind of a picture of what we're supposed to be, right? Um, we're the body of Christ. We are a team of people. We are um, here to pick one another up. We have a common goal, um, just like they do. We have this common goal of seeing the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And we're in this together. And, and so it's exciting to see this. It's exciting um, to, to be a part of this, but it makes me think of something so much bigger than just winning a World Series. Because here's the honest truth. If they win tonight, tomorrow, it's just Monday, right? I mean, it'll be fun, but it doesn't last. But we're working for something that does last. So um, who'd like a Braves hat? Anybody? They got them at Hibbets for about $25. <laughs> I think it's about 25 Things have gone up in price a little bit, but they've got them there. You can get them in two days on Amazon um, as well if you have Prime. So anyway... Um, Today, we are going to be in the book of Amos. We're going to finish um, this, this, well, not finish, but we're going to go through the book of Amos. We're going to look at a couple of uh, chapters here and some passages. And then I want to take where we're at in Amos, and I kind of want to jump um, into something in the New Testament that we can look at. And so Amos chapter 2, verse 6, is where we're going to be at uh, first this morning. Um, and then we're going to flip over, read a few passages in chapter 2. We're going to flip over to chapter 4. Um, and then jump into this. I want to point out one passage, one phrase in particular that really grabbed my heart this week as I was um, reading through this. So in Amos, Amos is much like many of these other prophets we've looked at. Amos is calling Israel to repentance. He's calling them to return to God. He, he's warning them of what happens when you turn away from God. Um, he's really declaring, as we're going to see in some of these um, passages we're about to read. He's declaring, return to me, return to me, return to me, is what the Lord is saying through Amos. Um, and so he is uh, a little different from this standpoint. In the other prophets we've looked at, there's been hope interspersed kind of throughout the, the book, right? Um, you go a little ways with warnings and, and judgment, and then you get this hope. Well, Amos is a little different in that it goes all the way through all nine chapters and there's no really hope or promise of restoration till you get to the very end. But there is still this promise that God one day will re restore his people to himself. God one day will um, restore the earth 
back to what he intended for it to be. And so even in the midst of judgment and of all of this calamity and all of this stuff going on, we still see that God never gave up on his people, that his love never ran out. And we see that again through Amos as he's calling people, come back to God, come back to God. And we're going to see all that God did to try to bring them back. So in chapter two, in the first five verses, it's talking about some judgments that are coming, some sins that have been committed. You get to verse six, and uh, this is where we're picking up. It says, this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. Then he talks about some of the things they're doing. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. This is one of the huge things that Amos is speaking about is this oppression of the poor, this oppression of the weak. Um, instead of lifting them up, they continue to push them, push them down and elevate themselves off of them at their expense. He says they lie down. I'm sorry. The, the father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. But listen to this, and, and this is what God is going to remind them of. He says, yet I destroyed the Amorites, this enemy before them, though they were tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. He said, I destroyed their fruit below and the, or the fruit above and their roots below. In other words, I completely annihilated this enemy before you. He said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord. And so we see God saying, you're doing all of this. Don't you remember all I've done for you? Do you remember all I've done in hopes that this might make them come back, might make them turn back to the Lord? And then we look at Amos chapter 4. We're going to read from verse four here. Same thing. It begins. He says, hear this word in verse one. And he calls out some of the sin. And then he gives this warning. And in verse four, he says this, go to Bethel and sin. These are places where there were a temple or temples where they would go to worship. He says, go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every, the NIV says three years. It probably the better translation is three days. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do. What Amos is doing and what God is doing through Amos in this is he's actually mocking their worship. He's saying, go on to your temple, but you're still sinning. He said, do you think God is really pleased with worship that doesn't come from the heart? Worship that is more centered on you than it is on God. He's saying, take your sacrifice every morning. And here's the thing. They were supposed to bring a sacrifice one time a year, but, but they're saying you can bring them every day. But if your heart's not for him, if your heart's not to given to the Lord, he's like, this is still not acceptable. He said, bring your tithes every three days. There was one tithe that they gave every three years. He said, you can bring it every three days, but God's still not pleased if your heart's far from him. And he goes on and listen to this. 
He says, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. And listen to God's heart in this. Yet you have not returned to me. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. Listen to this. Feel, feel the weight of this. He said, look, you have hardened your heart so much for me. You have turned away from me so much that now I'm having to treat you like I treated Egypt when I delivered you from them. He said, I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. He's saying, listen, your sin has become so wicked that I've treated you as Sodom. I've treated you as Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire yet you have not returned to me. And this is the passage that grabbed my heart, especially the last phrase of this verse. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. When I read that, it just leapt up in my heart. It jumped up in my spirit. Prepare to meet your God. And where my heart went in that is, first of all, am I prepared to meet God, right? I read a quote by Winston Churchill who said something like this. Said, it said something like this. Um, I am prepared to meet my maker, whether my maker is prepared to meet the likes of me is still yet to be determined, right? And I asked myself, am I prepared to meet my maker? Am I prepared for that? And I started thinking about as the body, are we prepared for that? As people in the world, are they prepared to meet God? Because there will come this day when we all stand before him. And here's the crazy thing. For some, that will be a great day of bliss, of joy, of tears of joy. And for others, it's going to be this day of regret, remorse, tears of mourning. I pray for every person in this room that we're prepared, that we're ready, that that day when we stand before this great, glorious, merciful, just, loving, compassionate, righteous God, it will be a day of joy. I want you to see this and I'll point this out and then we're gonna pray. In chapter two, he says, look at all I've done for you. I've delivered you from your enemies. I've done all of this. And then we see the kind of the full spectrum. He comes over here and he says, and then I've done this to you, all in an effort to get you to return. And yet you have not returned. Yet we see this incredible work of God where he is trying to get his people to come to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Lord, today, would you even prepare our hearts? Lord, that we would be prepared to meet you, that that would be such a glorious day. 
God, that we would have love that increases today, affection that increases for you today, that the Spirit will work in our hearts, God, as we are prepared, as we get ready. Lord, whether that's 10 years, five years, whatever that is, Lord, that we be prepared, that we would long for, even anticipate, hope for, look for that day when Christ is revealed, when all is restored, all is made right once again. We love you, God. Be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to ask a quick question um, in regard to how much time you spend getting ready in the morning. All right. How much time do you spend getting ready in the morning? How many of you spend less than 10 minutes getting ready in the morning? We can tell. Um, how many of you spend less than 30 minutes? You spend maybe 30 minutes getting ready, right? 30 minutes. About, how about an hour or more? You spend over an hour getting ready, right? Anybody spend over an hour getting ready? All right, all right, all right. So um, you look at that, people spend different amounts. This morning I woke up and I rolled over and the sun was coming up and I'm like, something's not right. Unless God backed the sun up an hour, something's not right. And somehow I turned the ringer down on my phone, so I woke up an hour late. Um, didn't spend quite as much time preparing, you can probably tell. Somebody said that at nine, I get it, ha, 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 right? Turn the tables back on me. Um, but didn't have quite as much time to prepare. I was thinking about it this week, and here's where I got kind of convicted. I was like, do I spend more time preparing to meet with people than I do spending time preparing to meet with God, right? Every day of my life, how much time am I spending prepping to meet with people versus spending time getting ready to meet with the Lord or spending time meeting with God now, preparing for that day when he returns and restores all things and getting ready for that. When we look at scripture, we see that when Christ returns, many times it's compared to this, this wedding, this, this coming together, this final perfect union that takes place. Right now, by faith, we are one with Christ, but there will be this day when all things are restored. We see him face to face, and we're together in this new heaven and earth, and the Bible compares this really often to a wedding. It even talks about a wedding feast that God invites people to come and be a part of. And we look at this, and today I want you to think about all the preparation that goes into preparing for a wedding. I want us to look at this and, and really see this. And to kick this off, I thought we'd take a little trip back in time. And I got a couple of pictures I want you to see. One of them uh, is Susan and I together on our wedding day. Look at this young couple. Oh. Almost 22 years ago, 11, or, uh, November 27th, 1999. I got another one for you. Look at this guy. How about them cheeks, right? That's probably about the heaviest I've ever been in my life. That is what a strong and strict hops and barley diet would do for you, okay? Um, showed these pictures to some folks one time. A guy looked at it. He's like, were you having an allergic reaction? It's like, no, no, thank you. I was not. But I think back to that day, and, and I think about um, all that went into that, right? All that went into that. 
We look at uh, the, the, the time leading up to the, the, even the engagement, all the, the, the dating, the courting, the wooing that takes place. And I want you to see this today, that God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he draws us to himself, that his grace is working in every person's life that is on the earth right now. The Bible says that he sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, his grace is working in the lives of believers, in the the lives of unbelievers, those who are close to him, those who have turned their back on him. He's drawing people. He's still working to draw people to himself, much like we do when we're dating. I remember when Susan and I were dating, we started dating when we were really young, um, and, and we would spend time on the phone every day. Like how many of you are old enough to remember when you actually had a cord attached to your phone, right? And you had a line that came into your house and and that line was, you know, what you talked through. We talked on the phone so much that her family finally put in a second line. And I use the word talk, but it really wasn't even talk. It was more like breathed because we would sit on the phone for two or three hours at night and not even say anything. Maybe every five minutes, it'd be like, what you doing? (laughs) Homework. What you doing? Nothing. And we just sit there and breathe. And you remember like when, when, when people would call and you're on the phone or you call somebody and they were on the phone, you remember the, the, the busy sound, right? Well, that's all people were getting when they call their house at night. So they put in another line, but it's just this thing of just sitting there, kind of just being present with each other. And so we, that went on for us. Listen, we, we probably, I think we dated like 11 years before we got married. Started when we were really young. Like it's almost embarrassing how young we were. I think I was like 13. She was like 11, hadn't turned 12 yet. That almost feels like something's wrong with that, right? <laughs> but for all this time leading up to this, this wedding, we were dating And I want you to understand this. We look at Amos 2, Amos 4. I want you to see this, that God was trying to get them to come back to him. And today God is still working to get you to come to him, to return to him, to give your heart to him, to live with him. He's still calling you. He's still calling me. We looked in the very first prophet we talked about, Hosea. You remember Hosea had to live out a message. And that message was that God told him, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. He married a woman by the name of Gomer who had been unfaithful. And she comes, he marries her. She's still unfaithful. She's still unfaithful. But um, Hosea kept pursuing, kept pursuing, kept pursuing. And we see this God who never stops pursuing his people. Even in our unfaithfulness, he continues to pursue. He continues to call back. That is an amazing God who would be that persistent, that steadfast in his love. Then we finally come to this point where there's an engagement, right? There's this engagement that takes place. I did a really bad job with this, y'all. This is an area I dropped the ball. I hear stories about guys who like, they'll go to the beach and then they come riding up on a horse and they get off the horse and they give her the ring and it's so cool. Or they go to the mountains and they're on this beautiful mountain and he proposes and it's all amazing. Or go to this really nice restaurant. I just 
asked her to marry me in the front of my pickup truck. I mean, that's, that's what we did in the driveway. Not much there. She said yes, amazingly. Um, but there's this engagement that takes place. Typically, in our culture, it's the groom who initiates this. It's the groom who initiates this. And I want you to see this, that God's initiated that with us. He's asked us to marry him. He's asked us to join him, to be one with him. He's, he's done that. We look at that and, and look at marriage in biblical times, a biblical marriage um, back in those biblical days and in that time period. What would happen is that the groom would leave his home. He would go, even if it was a long way away, he would go to the home of his future bride and he would give a dowry. He would give something to the family of the bride, of the girl he was going to marry. In other words, he would literally pay a price. He would give them something. The bride-to-be would, would be aware of what this was. Like you didn't want to show up and just pull out a couple of dimes and some lint from your pocket, right? That's not very impressive. And when we look at what God has done for us, inviting us into this relationship, I want you to see this, that God paid a very big price so that we could join him. We sing this song, right, that talks about the blood applied. And if you're not um, familiar with church, you've never been around Christianity much, and you come in and we're singing songs about blood, these people are cuckoo, right? But I want you to understand this. The blood is powerful because of the sacrifice that was made that spilled that blood. Because what happened on the cross where the blood was shed, where Jesus went to shed his blood, is that he gave his life for us. And you say, well, why, what's that matter? Because look, he lived a sinless life that we could not live. He went to the cross and died the death that we should have died. And on that cross, when he shed his blood, all of our sin placed on him, this innocent person who did not deserve this, the most unfair thing, the most unfair exchange that ever took place. And God's wrath fell upon that sin so that his wrath wouldn't fall upon us. And when we sing about the blood, he was the final lamb of God in this line of sacrifices that went all the way from Genesis chapter three to the cross. And we see the price that was paid for us, what was given for us so that we could become the bride, the church could become the bride of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, Paul's writing, he's speaking about marriage between a husband and wife, but it is really speaking about the marriage, the union between Christ and his bride. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And listen, and gave himself up for her. He's saying, this is the price that was paid. He gave himself up so that we could come to him. And this morning, listen, I don't, really know where you're at with this. I don't know where you're at with God, but I want you to understand this, that your sin is not so great that God's price that was paid for you can't cover it. That the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ can cover all of your sin. It can cover all of your sin. You need to realize this. If you will turn to God, God can take care of that. Jesus never got mad at people because they were sinners. He got mad at the people who wouldn't admit they were sinners. 
and those who kept the sinners from coming to him. Why would that be? The only thing Jesus couldn't cover was our unwillingness to come to him. And we see this great price that Jesus paid. We see what he gave on our behalf. Ephesians 25, he gave himself up for her, us, the church, the bride of Christ. Once we get through to that engagement, we come to this point where um, typically the groom-to-be asks the bride-to-be to marry him. And we see a lot of cheesy things that take place, right, on TV, where like there's one right now, I think, Gordon, if you've watched the Braves games, you've seen this, where the guy's in the restaurant and he's got like an iPhone 13 and the girl thinks he's about to ask her to marry him. And, and he's like, and she's not really wanting him to ask her to marry him, but he's asking her something about an iPhone. You see a bunch of cheesy stuff like that, where when she says yes about the iPhone, he stands up, he's like, yes. You see it on Hallmark movies and stuff like that, where when the bride says yes, they're like, woo, get all excited. Well, here's the crazy thing about it is Luke 15 tells us this, that when one sinner repents of their sin and comes home, you know what heaven does when we say yes to this engagement? We say yes to this marriage with God. You know what heaven does? Woo! Is that not crazy? Is that not awesome that you, 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 like you, consider you in the grand scheme of the universe. Consider me in the grand scheme of the universe, this huge, vast universe. And yet when I said yes to Christ, heaven rejoiced. That's pretty amazing. And this engagement begins. This preparation begins. And in biblical times, it was your betrothed. The, the bride was betrothed. The, the, there was this time of preparation that could last up to a year or more. And I don't know about you, but how many of you guys, when you got married, you were as naive as I am and thought that once she said yes, you had spent the money, bought the ring, she said yes, you thought it was over. Like, now it's just getting to the wedding day. It's over. I'm good. I'm done with my part. Anybody else was that naive? A lot of y'all are here too young. You're not even married yet. You're like, what's this guy talking about? Well, let me prepare you. Speaking of being prepared. Just when you buy that ring and she says yes, it's just starting. I thought, I'm done. I'm like, just tell me when to be there. Nope. We had something every night. It seemed like every Friday, every Saturday night, we had some kind of party, some kind of shower. We got engaged in March. I'm thinking we'll get married in August because that's before deer season starts. She got married on November, or she, went, she got married. I was there too. Um, we got married on November 27th, 1999. It was the day that Georgia played Georgia Tech. It was one of the best hunting weekends because you had a long weekend. We, she wanted to get married on November 27th. I, I said, no way. So we got married on November 27th. And between March and November, we had so much stuff going on. There was something every Friday night, every Saturday night. And I literally would tell people, I even told her, I'm like, look, if we can get to the wedding, I think we'll be okay. But I don't know if I'm going to make it. 
because there was so much stuff. And then it was like, hey, you want to go help me pick out plates? <laughs> was that serious? Like, was that a serious question? Do you like these bridesmaids' dresses? Yeah, I do. You didn't look at them, I know. And see, here's the thing. Some of y'all are like, whoo, you're getting in trouble. I'm just saying the things all of y'all thought. And so there was all this preparation that went on from the time of the engagement to the actual culmination of that wedding. And I want you to see that in our church today, the American church especially, we think that when we say yes to the marriage, we think that that's kind of it. But there's still so much preparation that goes on. There's still so much to do. There's still so much to experience. And I joke about all of the, 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 the stuff I didn't like, but there was other stuff that was joy, right? You look back on it and you're like, wow. Not much of it, but there was some. And so there's still all of this preparation, getting ready. The first thing I think about in that is that picking out of the dress, right? Talking about spending hours to prepare. Like so many of the, the girls, when they're getting ready to get married, they're picking out dresses and spending time and they're going. And think, thankfully, I didn't do that. But they go and they pick out the dress and they want to see how that dress fits and get it ready for that special day. Well, here's the cool thing about God. If you look back at Ephesians chapter 5, again, verse 26. It says this that in 25 where he said Jesus, as, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, verse 26 says to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 27, this is what Paul says as he's writing this letter to the Galatians. He says in verse 26, actually he says, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In other words, when we come to faith in Christ, he gives us something too. We clothe ourselves. We put on Christ. In other words, we put on the righteousness of Jesus. This is part of the preparation. When we come to faith and we say yes to this relationship, we put on the righteousness of Jesus. This is why now we can come to God through Christ is because we are no longer seen as unrighteous. We're no longer seen as sinners. We are seen as saint, saints and we are given access to the throne of God. In other words, to his presence. So we clothe ourselves with Christ. We put on Christ. We stand there as Christ. But then we look at this. Not only does it say we have clothed ourselves with Christ. Look at Romans chapter 13. Very similar passage, but in a different way. So we put on the righteousness of Christ. Romans chapter 13. He says in verse Romans 13, 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, which not in dissension and jealousy. He says this, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires 
of the flesh. He's saying, look, yes, you've been given this righteousness, but now live out of that righteousness because there's still a preparation to take place. There's still a transformation in your life taking place. As you walk with Christ, there's still this, this place where God is taking you from glory to glory, making you more like Christ. How many of you, when you're about to get married, you either started dieting or working out more? Anybody? Obviously from my pictures, I didn't either. But a lot of people do. They start trying to get ready for that day. They want to look good for that day. They want to be pleasing, right? They want to um, be in good shape for that day. And I believe it's the same way for us. We don't try to do that to earn God's love or acceptance. We do that because of God's love and acceptance and the spirit of God in us, which he has given us, that the spirit's working in us to transform us so that when we're presented to Christ, when we stand before him, we are that glorious bride. Listen again to Ephesians chapter five, where Paul says this. He says that the goal is, is to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There's this preparation that's happening in our individual lives, but it's even bigger than that. It's for our corporate lives. So that when we, not just Connection Church, but every church, every group of believers, every believer um, that, that comes to faith will stand before God and we present ourselves, we are presented to him as this glorious bride. When you think about this word betrothed, it, it literally, like the word we use, came from in the old language two words: be truth, be true. And and one of the things that happens, I told you, there was this period of time, this this betrothal that takes place where um, the, the the bride and the groom are separated. The the groom actually goes away from the bride. He goes and prepares the home for the bride. He goes and gets things ready. Sometimes it would take a year or more, and there's this time of waiting. And during that time, the bride and the groom were committed to each other to stay faithful. And think about this picture. He calls us to be true. He calls us to be faithful because of our love for him as he's faithful to us because of his love for us. And it says that the groom would go away and he would Make a place for them together. Think about what Jesus said. Is this not a cool picture? That Jesus said that he was going away to prepare a home for us, a house for us, a room for us. And then he'd return. And it's that same picture that one day Jesus will return just as this groom would return for his bride. Jesus will return for his bride. But in that waiting, he calls us to be true I remember when Susan and I were dating, um, especially on into the, the later years of that, um, college and even a little after college, even when we were engaged, I can remember different times. I put myself a lot of times in bad situations in just different places. And there was temptation that was all around, right? There was temptation. Um, but I remember, even though I was not saved, I wasn't saved until after we had been married for four months. Even though I was not saved, I remember this. I remember... Um, always thinking, doing this is not worth sacrificing this. 
doing this is not worth giving up this because I knew this and, and being Susan was the best thing in my life. And even though this temptation came, I knew like I'm not giving, I'm not giving up on this. And see, being true to God and pursuing God, seeking God, returning to God doesn't make sense to us until we have experienced his love for us. I'd experienced love from Susan, but I also had a great love for her. And I didn't want to walk away from that. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes into you and you experience the love of God, something happens. You're given this new heart that has deep affection for the Lord. And there may be things that glitter and shine and that, that are over here that are attractive. But we know, like, this is where I need to be. This is where I want to be. And even though at times we get distracted and we get pulled here, we know because of the Spirit in us that this is where I belong and we will return. I want to be honest with you because I never want to stand in front of you as a hypocrite. And what I mean by that is acting like one thing when I know there's I'm a, a something else. This week was pretty challenging for me, even to the point of trying to get prepared for this message. One of the greatest weaknesses I have is when somebody hurts somebody I love like with my family. Um, I... I literally go to this place where that person can become faceless and nameless because I want to, I want to inflict like damage, right? That's one of the greatest weaknesses for me. And this week, someone hurt a member of my family, one of my, my sons. And I was filled with this anger and this literally like a rage that I felt trying to overtake me. And everything in me, I'm just being honest, everything in me wanted to go like lay hands on this person, not like to pray for them, but like to choke them. And if you know me, you know this about me, like I can't stand it. And I mean, I have thought some things this week. I have said some things this week that I know are not coming from being clothed in Christ. And one particular incident, poor Susan, y'all pray for her. She goes with me. And in one particular instance, I'm talking to her. I think it was just she and I in the room. And I said, I want you to realize this. This is not right. This is not right. What happened to him is not right. It is wrong. This is not just. This is not fair. He didn't do anything wrong. He doesn't deserve this. And she's like, well, we'll, we'll just, we just got to walk through it. I'm like, we, we got to make this right. It's not fair. And while I'm saying that, I can still remember exactly where I was standing in our living room. The Lord just spoke to my heart. And he said, what do you think happened to my son? He said, what do you think happened to my son? 
You think what happened to him was fair? He was way more innocent. Was it really fair for him to trade his righteousness for your unrighteousness? Was it really fair for him to become the substitute for you on that cross? Was it really fair? Was it just, you know, for, for him to have to take your place? Was it right? And it brought home again to me the price that was paid. It's still hard. And being true to God is so easy to get distracted by these things. People will say to me like, well, come on, preacher. You know, Jesus wouldn't do that. I'm like, I'm not Jesus. I never claimed to be Jesus, right? And yet I think about what God did. I think about my weakness. I think about my frustrations. And I'm just reminded of the price that was paid. If you go look, and I'll wrap it up. If you go look at Revelation chapter 22, we looked at this a little bit last week. In verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. See, there's two parts to this. One is, is this invitation is extended to you to come, that through Jesus, to be made right with God, to have this anticipation, to be looking forward to what's to come, to be in this relationship, this union with God, on the other side, the second part of this is who does it say is extending the invitation? It says the spirit and who? The bride say come. See, the spirit through the bride invites others to join this wedding, this wedding feast that's going to take place that Jesus talks about in Matthew 22. The spirit through the bride says come, but the bride apart from the spirit can't do anything. And so I want you to see this, that one today, God invites you to return. God invites you maybe for the first time to say yes to him, to join him, to be united to him, to have this future hope of this wedding, of this joining of God, of Christ in this new heaven, this new earth, this, this place where all things are restored. But he also wants to use us to extend this invitation to others. And here's the crazy, awesome thing about the wedding pre preparation. It ends when it all culminates. All of this preparation comes together. It ends in a worship service. And all those who said yes will join together and worship. Will join together declaring hallelujah all glory, all honor. We'll be worshiping the king together. 
I want us all to be prepared. I pray that none of us would refuse to come to him. I pray that we would all be clothed by faith in Christ. I pray that we would all keep our eyes fixed on him. I know distractions will come. I know you're, I know even though you're righteous in Christ, you're a sinner. I know it because I am. I know this. But the great news is that God is still going to work in your life. Turn, return to Christ. Father, I thank you this morning for your continued love and call to your people. Lord, I know this, the older I get, I think the more I look forward to that day. I look forward to that day of being with you perfectly, seeing you face to face, Lord, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ, clothed with him. I thank you, Lord, that you love us in our imperfections. Lord, we worship you for that. And I pray our hearts would be turned, our affections would be stirred, and our lives would be pleasing to you, Lord. Give us grace, Lord, because we can't do it on our own. We love you, Father, and we thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, listen. Remember the price that God paid for you this week. Remember the love that God has for you. If your heart begins to wander, turn back. He'll receive you right where you are. And I pray that for you. God bless you guys. Y'all have a good week.